Father, these words bring tears to my eyes because they're true. They're so true. They are the truth beyond truth. These words describe the living king, the sovereign God, Jesus Christ, the preeminent over creation. Father, we pray for a simple thing this morning, for your mass to be so dominant in our hearts and minds. There is no such thing as living a Christian life without being aware of the greatness of Christ. May the greatness of Christ be properly preached. May it be deeply understood. May it deeply move us. May it quicken our spirits. And may we live in gratitude of the fact that we get to worship such a great king. May the truth of Jesus Christ, of who he is, be magnificently communicated and understood. All these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, we are continuing our series on the sermon series on Advent. And for those of you who are, who are here last week, I think I kind of covered these verses in, in, in a little bit, little bit last week. Um, but I wanted to cover these verses in more detail this week. This, for those of you who don't know, um, the Christmas season in the church calendar is called the season of Advent, A-D-V-E-N-T. And I was at a small group the other day, and someone asked me, what does Advent mean? And I guessed, and I was right. The definition of Advent means um, Means Advent means coming of a very important person. Advent is means the arrival of the of a very important person. So in the season of Advent, in this Christmas time, this Christmas time we are celebrating the arrival of not just an important person, but the person. We are celebrating the arrival of the eternal God himself who entered this time and space to save his people. I think Jordan Peterson, I think he describes the Christian, the Christian faith as, like Jesus Christ as, the metaphysical meets the physical in a particular time and space. Metaphysics is the eternal truth of existence. Metaphysics is usually an abstraction, an idea, like, like you know, like it, has, it doesn't take a physical form. But Peterson is saying Christianity is when the metaphysics of existence became physical for one moment in time. That's a really good way of describing Advent. Let's think about it. I know we're used to hearing it, but let's actually think about it for a little bit. In the season of Advent means the eternal God. God who is, who was, whoever will be. That all of it is because of him. In one particular moment in time. 
he came here to dwell amongst us. This grand God came into the world for us. Advent is that you meditate and you celebrate and you worship the king who came. It is not about last Christmas, I gave you my heart, and the very next day you gave it away. How silly and foolish that is. Advent is more than about your families having a warm celebratory gathering. Advent is more the presence you give and the presence you receive, it is far more than the foolish material things we give and we get. Do you remember what you got last year for Christmas? I don't remember. Do, do your kids remember what you got them for Christmas last year? It doesn't matter, does it? It is the Advent is the awareness of the living God coming in the midst to dwell amongst us. And the more we understand about God, the more our knowledge grows about who he is, right? The more that we can live in the way that he wants us to live. Christians know more than anything else. If you're a Christian, what makes you a Christian is you will know more than anyone else that life is not about you. That life is about Christ. The biggest difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is the Christian knows that this world and our lives in it are about God and his unfolding will. It is not about you and me getting our own way here. It is even not about our happiness here. Christians know this existence is all about God. This world is filled with God's glory, according to Isaiah 6.3. It says, holy, 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 the angel says, is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. This earth, the angels testify, there's no place on this earth that is not filled with the glory of the living God. It's not filled with his majesty, his beauty, his presence, his life. Every square inch of this world is filled with the glory of God. It's not filled with man's glory. It is filled with the glory of God. This world is about the glory of God. This earth and our time in it is about the unfolding of his purposes, his plans, unfolding of his and the arrival of his kingdom. This world is not about our happiness, once again. It's not about our plans being realized. It's not about you getting what you want. It's about the unfolding of God's purposes and plans in this world. It is not about you. It's not about me. But it's about God. That's what a Christian knows. And I am so blessed. You know, I am so blessed because I get to witness some of you 
growing in that understanding that life isn't about you, but about God. A couple of examples. I mean, I can't tell you by name, but I think there's a, I can tell you her name, Olivia, right? Olivia LeClaire, who used to go here. She had a very bad 2020. Like, one of the worst tragic things I've ever seen a person go through happened to Olivia in 2020. Something happened to her parents. Her pregnancy was, like, you know, like it's all bad. It's like Job. It's all bad. But I called her a couple, like, a couple of months ago. I called her. She was in her hospital room. And I said, Olivia, how do you still, you're not angry at God, are you? And she says, no. And I said, how can you not be angry at God? Because you weren't raised a Christian. How can you not be angry at God? And she says, it's because it's beyond my control. Life is not about my control. Life is about, un- Life is about God, she says. When I heard that, I said, wow. God has worked in Olivia's soul. If she can still praise and honor God and accept the fact that all her tragedies is still within the unfolding purposes of God, I'm a blessed man because I got to pastor her. And it is through these things that we did here, she had the grand understanding of the bigness of God. Olivia knew her life was not about her. It was about the unfolding purposes of God. I had lunch with good old June yesterday over this really nice Korean beef. I'll tell you the restaurant after we go. It's really good. But what made that lunch more enjoyable is not only because of the food, but June confessing before me that he's saying the sovereignty of God is true. He was telling me all the things that he's realizing about the sovereignty of God. And as, as I was eating that meat, my tears wedged in my eye because that young man knew or knows that life is not about him, but it's about the unfolding purposes of God. Life is about God. It is not about you and me. Do you understand? The secret to the Christian life is this. The secret to the Christian life, the way you know the life is about God and not you, the, the secret of knowing this, is simply the fact that, the, that God has to be, the understanding and your knowledge of God has to be greater and more real and has to expand as you live in this world. The more you personally begin to understand and know about God, the more he becomes grand and intimate in your heart, the bigger he becomes in your mind and your life, you will begin to see life is about him and when you, when you begin to know him more, when your understanding of him starts to develop more expansively, then your behavior and your affections, what you love and how you live, will align according, according to it, according to your understanding about God. I'll give you an example. Um, Einstein's theory of relativity, general relativity. I know it sounds boring, but it's not. Gravity, they say, generally flows upward, right? Gravity flows upward, right? That's why the universe is expanding, 
because gravity is moving upwards. But in our existence, gravity pulls things down. Einstein is asking himself, why is that? Why is if gravity is expanding upward, in our experience, is gravity pulling us down? Einstein realized it is because we are living in a world where the mass, where the size of the sun is dominant in our solar system. Even though things are supposed to go outward, because of the mass of the sun, because the sun's presence, everything pulls down and all the planets orbit around it. Without the mass of the sun, we will just, just be forever going outwards. But we are spinning around the sun because of the mass of the sun. Sean Stark says, yes. Yes, Sean agrees with me. Why is this important? Christian life is like that. The more Jesus Christ and your understanding of him becomes more massive in your life, everything else in your life, what you love, how you want to live, will start to orbit around him. Christianity is not God saying, hey, do this or else. That's not Christianity. Christianity is the massiveness of Jesus Christ becoming more dominant that causes a pull towards himself in your life. If there is no desire to obey him, if there is no desire to live in a conformity to him, the problem is, is that his mass is not great in your mind. This is precisely the problem that the Colossians was going through when Paul was writing this letter. When Paul was writing this letter, Colossians were, they were, they were, there was a dominant false teaching that, that, were, that, were, that, that was invading the minds of the Colossians. The, the, the false teaching was this. In Colossians, the false teaching was this. The false teachers were saying, Jesus Christ it's necessary for your salvation, but he is not sufficient for your salvation. What does that mean? It basically means you need faith in Jesus to be saved, but only, not only do you need faith in Jesus to be saved, but you need to do other things to be saved. Jesus Christ is necessary for you to be saved, but it's not sufficient. You need to add, you need to do other things to be saved. What is the thing they need to do to be saved? They need to observe religious festivals. I don't know, there are like five or six or ten religious festivals that they need to obey. And they also need to live a very self-disciplined, self-denying, ascetic life. They need to be very self-denying. They can't go to movies. They can't watch Netflix. They have to abstain for certain foods, right? They have to live a very strict life in order for them, for, for them to experience God and in order for them to be saved. The problem with the Colossians church was even though they identified themselves as Christians, their focus was more on what they needed to do for God rather than understanding the reality of who Jesus Christ is. El comprende? Do you understand? 
this problem that the Colossians were going through was not just a problem those guys were going through 2,000 years ago. It's the same problem that modern people are going through. The podcast that I'm obsessed with, I'm, sad, I'm kind of sad that it ended, is this podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. For those of you who don't know, Mars Hill Church was a huge megachurch in Seattle in the early 2000s. It closed down, I think, in, early 2000, in 2014. Mars Hill's church was huge. 15,000 people gathered in Mars Hills every day, every Sunday. 15,000. This podcast was about how that huge church imploded. The conclusion of this podcast sermon is this. Mars Hill, when it first started out, it, God did amazing things with it. People were being saved and growing like crazy. But Mars Hill imploded because after a while, it became focused on two things. Number one, the charismatic gift of the, of the lead pastor. And number two, the culture in which they think, the, way, the, cult, the church culture that focused on what men and women should do. The whole church was focused on what men should do and what women should do. The whole culture was about husband's role and wife's role. For example, they said, if you're a wife, you shouldn't work, right? And when your husband comes back from home, you should give him like nachos and let him relax. Really weird. But eventually that church became that kind of a thing, focused on men and women role and focusing on the lead pastor. They lost sight of the fact that the Christian life is more than about a, some, a person. It's about growing in the massive understanding of Jesus Christ. But that church, that didn't become its focus anymore. It became about the pastor and themselves. That's the trap the modern churches, even today, get to, like, can fall into. It is not about the understanding of Jesus Christ. It is either, under, either about what you can do for God, or two, having a false understanding about God. When I was younger, in my stupid college days, the focus of my Christianity was about this charismatic leader that I was following and was about, focus was about what I can do for the, for the Lord. It was never about me understanding a greater knowledge of God. It was me just focusing on that leader and myself. It was about me. Similarly, I think a lot of Christians out there, and may I dare to say yourselves as well, Christianity is really about you, right? We have a false understanding of what Jesus is. Jesus accepts me for who I am. Right? Jesus is the facilitator of my life. Jesus helps me with my life. He facilitates things in my life, but he's not really real. You don't, you don't really understand who he is. That's why there's no power in your faith. Because Christianity is about the mass of Jesus Christ occupying a greater portion, your understanding of Jesus occupying a greater portion of your mind and soul, and that causing all the other areas of your life to follow. 
the more grand understanding that you have of Jesus Christ, everything else in your life will start to fall into their proper place. That is precisely why Paul is writing these verses, verses 15 to 20. In fact, the entire letter to James, the entire letter to the Colossians, Paul is trying to convince them the bigness of Jesus Christ. Verses 15 to 20, the verses that we're going to cover today. That I think in the Bible, these verses are the verses that most clearly tell us who Jesus is. These verses capture who Christ is. The more you understanding of these verses grow, the more spiritual power and dynamic you will experience. Let's quickly go through what Paul says about Jesus according to this verse. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the first born of all creation. We briefly covered this last week. So I'm just going to touch basically upon this. Paul is first saying, Jesus Christ is the image, is a visible image of the invisible God. Let's think about this. Christians believe that there is a living being called God. And this God who is invisible, is responsible for everything. Not responsible. He causes everything. He controls everything. All the equations, all the laws of the universe, all the things that control the fabric of his existence, it's God. But God is invisible. Paul is saying, how do do human beings know what God is, who God is? Look at Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying. Jesus Christ, not Muhammad, not Allah, not L. Ron Hubbard, right? Not Confucian, not Buddha. Jesus Christ is the image of God. Do you know who, who do you know what do you want do you know what God looks like? Look at Jesus Christ. The Old Testament prophets of the Bible wrote prophesied about him. The the apostles of the New Testament wrote about him. The Bible is a revelation of who Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ, who he is is written is revealed in the Bibles that you hold in your hand. Jesus Christ is not the figment of your imagination. The Jesus Jesus Christ that you think you know in your head, he is not the true God, right? Jesus Christ revealed in Scripture is God. Listen to me carefully. The, The idea of God that you have in your head, which is based on Sunday school teachings, youth pastor sermons, and your experiences, that's not the full God. The full God. The true God is revealed in the person of Christ written in the Bible. He is the firstborn of creation. This means he is the supreme. 
He is firstborn of creation. It doesn't mean he was created. It means that he is supreme over all creation. Why is he supreme over all creation? Verse 16. It's because by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, ruler or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Jesus Christ is the firstborn of creation. It means he is supreme over creation because, number one, he is the agent of creation. Things were created by him. Whether it is things that are seen, visible, Sean Stark, Ron Stark, Hill and Jamie, things that you can see, that camera, right? Or the invisible things. Whether it is expanding the universe or it, or it is... It is the quark in the molecular, most smallest molecular level. All things visible and invisible has been created by him. There's nothing that existed that was not created by him. There's a theologian that says, there is nothing in this world that Jesus Christ cannot say, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine. He owns it all, including your body. But it's interesting that Jesus, he says, Paul says, Jesus Christ, through him all things were created, visible and invisible, were there thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. I think what Paul says, Jesus Christ created thrones, dominions, ruler, authorities, he means Jesus Christ controls human history. Human history is about kingdoms, dominions, and powers, and kings, and leaders. Paul is saying Jesus Christ created all these things, all these people. Jesus Christ controls the flow of human history. Who created Joseph R. Biden? Jesus Christ. Who created Donald G. Trump? Donald John Trump? Jesus Christ. Who, who selected them as leaders of America? Jesus Christ. Romans 13 makes it clear. Kings have been established by Christ. Human history, your history, is created and governed by Christ. He is not only agent of creation, he is the purpose of creation. Everything was created for the glory of his name. Everything was created so that he will be magnified and glorified, so that we will see how great he is. That's the purpose of, all, of creation. A couple of weeks ago, I was getting a haircut. So it was like before my point in time. So I went to Burger King that morning. I get to have Burger King morning breakfast. I never had it. And I ordered their sausage biscuit. Oh my goodness, that's good. As I was eating that biscuit, I was overwhelmed with emotions over a $3 biscuit. And I was thinking back, why is this so good? Why is this so good? Why do I praise this biscuit? It's because the flavor and the ingredients and the way it was put together, it all points back to the goodness of God. 
Who created the material? Who created the chef? The chef? The cook. The cook who microwaved this sausage and egg together? Who made that really black, strong coffee that Joe and other will never drink? Who created this incredible combo? Christ did. I was glorifying Christ because that biscuit and coffee testified to the goodness of Christ in my mouth. I love artists. I really do. I told my wife yesterday, I'm really happy that my wife is a musician. Those words were never uttered by my lips. When I look at people like Joe and Heather, I am just, I am marvel. I love artists. Because they can create something that is beautiful. But I love their art. And I love the fact that they can create beautiful things. Because their creation, in my eyes, all point to the ultimate creator, who is Jesus Christ. If you ask artists, artists will say, these ideas just come to them. They never just like deliberately try to plan it out. Every time, artists, good artists usually say, these ideas just come to them. And they express these ideas that are in their heads. That's true. Where do these ideas come from? Does it come from the artist? No, it comes from the living God, the Jesus Christ, who is the artist. Human art testifies to the creative genius of Jesus Christ. The coolest baby name I've ever heard in my life, Dobbin Coltrane Hom. Coolest, really. Benedict is fine. Right, I love Noah is fine, and y'all names are fine, baby. I love every, all the babies that embrace equally. But preferentially, not preferentially, but let's be honest. In my mind, Davin Coltrane Ham is the coolest name a kid can have. Why? For me? Because I know what John, who John Coltrane is. You know who John Coltrane is? The way that Papa Ham, why Papa Ham gave the name Coltrane to his middle kid? John Coltrane was perhaps a jazz genius. He was a jazz genius. 1957, I think he was maybe 37 years old, he found Jesus Christ. And, the, and he, after he found Christ, after he experienced this transformation, he wrote a masterpiece jazz album called The Love Supreme. And in that jacket, in that and for those of you who have MP3 players without knowing any jackets, back in the day, if you like LPs, the records, artist writes little notes inside the sleeves of, 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 of the LP. And this is what John Coltrane wrote in his masterpiece, Love Supreme. He says, all praise be to God to whom all praise is due. Let us pursue him in the righteous path. Yes, it is true, seek you shall find. Only through him can we know the most wonderful bequeathal. I don't know what that means. During the year 1957, I experienced by the grace of God a spiritual awakening, which was to, which was to lead me to a richer, fuller, more productive life. 
through the unerring and merciful hand of God, I do perceive and have been duly reinformed of his omnipotence and our need for and dependence on him. At this time, I would like to tell you that no matter what, it is with God, he is gracious and merciful. His way is in love through which we all are. It is truly a love supreme. He says, Jesus Christ, God is truly a love supreme. This album is a humble offering to him, an attempt to say thank you, God, through our work, even as we do in our hearts with our tongues. May he help and strengthen all men in every good endeavor. Coltrane is saying, he found God and he understood God. And as a result, his music becomes more fuller and more meaningful. And he wants to dedicate his artistic vision to God. He realized music comes from God. Your work, whatever your work is, it involves... You work so that you can reveal who God is through your work. Everything was created by him, for him. He is the purpose of your existence. That's what Paul is saying. He is before all things, verse 17, and all things hold together. And he holds all things together. Verse 17, he is before all things. That means he was he wasn't created. He existed before everything existed. Quantum physics, quantum, quantum physicists are trying to figure out what was there before the Big Bang. They realized Big Bang was the beginning of our modern universe, but they tried to figure out what was before the Big Bang. Paul is saying God was there before the Big Bang. Jesus Christ was there before the Big Bang. Not only was Christ there before the Big Bang, he, what, what, he holds all things together. He holds the universe together. He holds the universe together through the laws of logic, through the laws of physics, through the laws of quantum mechanics, through the particles, atoms, and electrons, and protons dancing amongst each other, through quarks vibrating in the molecular level. Through sound waves and light waves, he holds all things, the fabric of existence, together. That's what Paul is saying. Jesus Christ is not just a baby born in a manger. He is the conductor in which through his conducting, all things are held together. Do you know this? And John Piper says this. The amazing things about, about Jesus Christ, according to this verse, is not, he's not just standoffish, right? Just letting things happen mechanically. No, he is personally involved in the, in, in the maintain, maintenance of the universe. His voice, his power, his energy is responsible for everything that, this, that, that is responsible for this existence from being. The astrophysicist Hugh Ross says, the more, scientists, the, more, the more scientists discover new discoveries, the more and more they realize this existence has been designed and has been, has been designed. Whether it is 
findings in astrophysics, whether it is finding in quantum mechanics, whether it is findings about the human cell. He says every scientific discovery points to the fact that someone designed it. The complexity of our reality cannot be explained by random chance. And he says human beings know if things are designed, in order for something to be designed, it needs a mind. Only a mind can design something. So Hugh Ross is saying the evidence that everything is designed points to a mind that designed it. And Hugh Ross is saying that mind that designed and creates and sustains all things is Jesus Christ. Woo! Am I too scientific today? Sean Stark will love the sermon. That's who he is. He, was, he existed before creation. He, made, he created all things. He maintains. He holds everything together. Verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. What does that mean? The agent of creation, the one that everything was created for, the one who holds all things together, the one responsible for logic, thermodynamics, quantum mechanics. He is the leader of the church. Let's just think about that for a little bit. What is the definition of a church? Two definitions. First definition of the church is those who are called. Second definition means assembly. If you put these things together, the church is an assembly, a gathering of people who have been called by him. If you are a Christian, you are a Christian because you were called by him. And he is the head of the church. The God of the universe is the head of our body embrace. Whatever you feel about our church, whatever you feel about how, what we're lacking, the secondary to the reality that Jesus Christ is the head of this body, the Lord of the universe, is, a, is the head, is the leader, is the one who guides this body. So our faith, my faith in leading embrace, is an awareness that I am not the head of this body. It is, Christ is. When you consider embrace before anything else, you need to understand it is Jesus Christ, the Lord of everything, who is the head of this body. So you need to love this body, and you need to be very careful with this body. I'm amazed what he's doing in the lives of our people. Amazing things are happening in the lives of our people because he is the head of the body. Gene and I were talking yesterday about his small group, and he says one common denominator of everyone in the small group is miraculous things are happening. 
right? Jobs are getting done, right? Like, you know, things that, June is a mess, like all these things, these miraculous things are happening in that small group. That small group is a testament of the fact that God is involved in our church. God does amazing things here because he is the head of our body. The Lord of all is the head of our body. Be mindful of this in how we treat each other. A couple of years ago, I'm almost, I can't possibly finish this, so I get to spill over to next week. A couple of, couple of weeks, a couple of years ago, I was at Starbucks, right? And um, that was before I saw the light, I saw the blue bottle light. That was, that was BB, before blue bottle, right? That was, I was a heathen, like drinking Starbucks, right? I was at Starbucks, and um, there was a pastor and a member, I guess, talking. And I heard, I heard, as I was waiting for my American, overburnt, roasted Americana, I heard the pastor saying, I heard the member saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to leave the church. She said, I'm going to leave the church. There's no matter what you say, I'm going to leave the church. And the pastor was kind of begging her not to. And I was looked at the, I gave the pastor a dirty look, and I said, stop begging, man. Stop begging. You represent the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. If she wants to leave, let her be. Do not beg her as if, as if you need to beg her to love the Lord of Lords. Was I being mean? Maybe, in my mind. But the point is, have some pride, man. You belong, you are, you are a shepherd of a church where the living God is the head. Have some pride. Christian, have some pride in the fact that the Lord of Lords is your head. He's not just the head who's just removed. He's the head who's involved in the, in the life of his people. Paul is saying, the Lord of Lords, the creator of all things, the one whom things, all things flow from, is the personal head of the church. Why are you afraid, church? Right? Verse 18. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Being first, Jesus Christ is not only the first fruit of creation, First fruit of firstborn of creation, which means he's supreme over things. He's a first fruit. He's a firstborn from the dead. What does that mean? He means Jesus Christ comes to the, came to this world to make a new creation out of his people. And if you have faith in Jesus Christ, if you have living faith in Jesus Christ. He's going to make you into a new creation. He is going to change you. He's first going to change you by transforming your mind as you live in this earth with this body. But eventually, just as he was raised from the dead, after your death, your future destiny is he, you will be raised like him. Paul is saying, when Paul says Jesus Christ is the firstborn of First, first born from the dead. He means as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, 
our eventual destiny is we will also be raised like him. It is not a theory to Paul. It is an absolute fact to Paul. Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 15, remember? He says, look at the tree. It starts from an acorn. But when an acorn dies, it grows up to be a massive tree. Likewise, you will be like that. Your future destiny. You will fall dead but you will be risen to a glorious life. He is not only the firstborn. He is not only, the, the, he's not only Lord of all creation, but he is a preview of what you will be in the future. We will continue this series on next. I'm very, I'm very disciplined today. I have so much more to say, but i got to stop. But let's reel back to how we started. How does a Christian, how is a Christian supposed to live? He is supposed, he or she is supposed to live with in the reality of who Jesus is. Having Jesus as king means you don't define your reality the way you want to define reality, the way you feel reality to be. You don't define reality based upon how you feel things are or how culture thinks it is. You, value, you, you live out your reality based on the realistic understanding that King Jesus controls all and that he is your head. Do you understand? You are not too free to think about yourself the way you wanted to. You are not too free to think about other people the way you want them to. You are not too free to think about your situation, your current circumstance, the way you wanted to think about your current circumstance. Everything has to, you live out with the understanding of the grandness and the greatness of King Jesus. This Advent season, please memorize the, these verses. Meditate upon these verses. Ask God to make, make you understand these verses so that the magnitude of the reality of Jesus Christ will become bigger and bigger and bigger to your soul. It is then you'll find the joy and the confidence and the desire to live a holy life. Let's continue next week. Let's pray.